A lot can be said. Of all the things that are going on in our world today, in our country today, and we all have an opinion on those things. Even if it's your opinion to not have an opinion, that's your opinion. But I think it would be hard for any of us to deny the level of grief and suffering and despair that we see in people today. And this is not something that just happens outside of the church. Believers are not exempt from the effects of being a saint who suffers under the weight of our own sin. Believers are not exempt from suffering under the weight of being sinned against. Believers are not exempt from suffering under the weight of living in a sinful world. So I want to start with a question for us to think about. Where do hurting people go? Where do hurting people go when suffering and discouragement in life are shackling them from daily responsibilities? Where do hurting people go when they keep exploding externally or burning internally with anger at the people they love? Where do hurting people go when their past sins or being sinned against in the past keeps haunting them, even when they don't want it to? Where do hurting people go when, when we come to realize that, the root, that a root of bitterness has mined a deep shaft into their heart? Where do hurting people go when sexual sin keeps knocking at their door? Where are hurting people going to go when they are watching their marriage decompose fast? Or when fear and failure or worry have a death grip on them? Where will hurting people go? Where can they find a culture of care? Where can they find answers to their problems? Where can they find love? The answer is many places. They can go many places. Suffering people have lots of avenues to go to find people who care and find people who seem to have answers for their problem, and they can go lots of places to find people who will love them. But where can they go to find the food of truth, the bread of life, to feed their weary souls? Where can sufferers find a group of spiritual beggars who have found the food and are willingly and are willing to share it with them, are willing to take it to them, are willing to feed them with the food for their weary souls. Can they come to you and find that?
Can they come to Fourth Baptist Church and find that? That culture? If in your mind you just thought, well, yeah, of course they can. That's what we have pastors here to do. Stick around for the rest of the sermon. In Matthew chapter 28, we read of the mission that Jesus left for us. You are familiar with it. Go therefore, make disciples. The emphasis is not on the going, it's on the making of disciples. That is both evangelistic and it is discipleship. And it's Jesus' commission to the church, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If that is our job, here is our hope, here is our comfort. And I am with you always to the end of the age. In our text in Ephesians 4 this morning, the Apostle Paul gives us a framework for accomplishing the Great Commission. The framework, the structure to accomplishing Jesus' mission for his people. When we come to chapter 4 in Ephesians and in, 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 in the book as a whole, in typical Pauline fashion, he begins the second half of the letter talking about duties and about conduct for the believer. And that is all based on the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 3, which is all the doctrine that he had just presented, some of which we read this morning in chapter 2. And this framework gives us a way to accomplish the Great Commission. This framework gives us hope that God didn't say, just go do it, you'll figure it out. He told us how this is done. He told us where this is done. And in verse 1 of this context, we have, we have a, uh, of this chapter, we have a call to respond to the gospel. The calling that you have been called with, he says. I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel calling. Your gospel calling. Your call to holiness and righteousness. Your call to love. You know it because you've been loved by the gospel. Now walk in this. And he tells us in this walk in verse 2, first of all, what we need to be. If we're going to walk together, we need to be humble. That yours is, not, yours is not the only opinion in the room. We need to be gentle with each other. And we need to be patient. Paul tells us what we need to be, and then he tells us how to do it. What, what, is, what, is, what is the avenue for being humble and gentle and patient? How can I practice that? In life together, bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. In verse 3, he says to us, eager to maintain. Here is your motivation for life and worship in the body. The focus of the believer, the life focus of the church is to eagerly maintain unity. Not create. That's already done in chapters 1 through 3. Unity has already been created. So we are seeking to maintain this unity with our foundation being the very oneness of God himself. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's the foundation of God's oneness. There is one body, one Spirit, 
just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Seven times. It's pretty hard not to get that. He is calling the church body to unity under the oneness of God, the oneness of the Trinity. Unity in one God, unity in one truth leads us to unity with others. Let's imagine for a moment that your two favorite football teams happen to beat, I don't know, neighboring other football teams all in the span of one week. Let's just say it just happened to be the Packers and the, and the Wisconsin Badgers. Just, just for sake of illustration, just, you know, just imagine that with me. If I was at that game with my kids last night, we'd probably be jumping over the wall and storming the field while my wife said, don't lose any of them. And I'd probably say, no, no, there's no way I'd lose any of them in this sea of people. We're going to go touch Paul Bunyan's axe. It's come home. And we get out there in the middle of the field and we're high-fiving who? People we know? No, absolute strangers. Who all of a sudden, in one moment, because of one stupid game, would be my best friends in the world. Like I knew them forever. Imagine you're walking through the airport and you see someone wearing one of those t-shirts, one of those home state t-shirts. And you recognize because that's your home state. You instantly have a bond with them. Remember one time my family and I had the chance to be out east. We went to a Baltimore Orioles game because they were playing the Minnesota Twins. And so we geared up. And during the rain delay, we were walking through the, the ballpark and we saw other people with Twins gear on. First time I've ever seen them, never seen them again. But in that moment, they were my best friends. And we bonded because we, we were unified under the same thing. The church is called to a deeper bond of peace with each other, Paul says. Paul draws us into this, this unity and bond and, and he, he calls us to be at peace with each other. To live at peace with each other. To interact peacefully in a room that is full of different opinions. Different opinions on vaccinations and COVID and church and what you should sing and what you shouldn't sing and what you should wear and what you shouldn't wear and what you should drive. It goes on and on and on. The difference is just in this room. And Paul says, live at peace with each other. Be at peace. And then I think by extension, bring others to peace with God in Christ. Live at peace, but then bring others into peace with Christ. Do you remember this text from last week? Hopefully it was just last week. Psalm chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. Pastor Matt preached on it. This is a prophecy not only of salvation, but of also of sanctification. 
in which we are told that Christ frees prisoners and he heals the brokenhearted, this is the role of the church. This is what Christ came to do for us, to bring peace. And it is our job, according to Paul, to bring others into peace with Christ, not just evangelistically, but those believers that are suffering today, your friends, your family, your kids, your parents, your fellow believers. We are called to live at peace with each other and to bring others to peace with God in Christ. This is the ministry and the heart of Jesus Christ himself. I think my favorite verse of Psalm 23, you saw it flash there for a second, it'll pop back up. When I am suffering, when I am hurting, these four words are so comforting to me. He restores my soul. But this isn't just something that God does. This is what God does through the church to his people. He calls us to restore the souls of those that are hurting. We are to maintain peace with each other through grace and mercy living. We also maintain that that peace by helping others find peace in Christ in the midst of their suffering. And in helping others find peace in Christ, we deepen and we protect the bond of peace that we have with each other. That's what unifies this body. It's not history. It's not style. It's the gospel of peace that is then reached out from us and to us in the life that we live together. In verse 7, Paul says that one of the results of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he says, is, is that Christ is now giving unique, enabling gifts to each of us. He gives us gifts. But grace, verse 7, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul just went from talking about unity in the body to now he's talking about uniqueness in the body. Unity within the diversity of Christ's family. And he quotes Psalm 68. He's talking about a victory parade in which the leading ruler comes home. He has freed the prisoners that were prisoners of war. He has brought them home and he is now handing out the spoils of gifts to his army. And Paul uses this quote from Psalm 68 to say, this is what Christ did through his death, burial, and resurrection. He, one of the things that he's doing through that is he has now gifted the body with unique enabling gifts for a specific purpose, for use in the assembly of the believers. From the unity of believers... And the peace that we have together, Paul now starts to talk about under the umbrella of unity, there is also diversity, specifically a diversity in gifts 
And Paul's point is that Christ's incarnation, the ascending and the descending in verse 8, 9, and 10, is, is to talk about the result of these gifts. And so we could kind of summarize it like this. The mystery of the gospel that saved us into unity with God, that's chapters 1 through 3, the mystery of the gospel has given us a responsibility to eagerly maintain unity with each other. Because of Christ's work, we have been given unique gifts by which to serve in the church body. This is Christ's gift to you. So to those of you who are members of Fourth Baptist Church, how are you using your gifts to serve the church? Why is it that the statement seems so true that 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work? Christ has gifted you uniquely to serve the body. Fourth Baptist Church is not just a preaching event. This is not just a worship event to show up to. If that's how you view it, I want to challenge you that you may have a wrong view of church if you're just coming here for a preaching event. This is not the place for us to showcase pulpiteering. That's not why the church exists. It is the public ministry of the Word. And we hold that very strongly. But that's not all that this church was formed and assembled to do. Don't be passive when you come here on Sundays. Be active. Be active with the unique gifts that God has given you. Do you come late? Do you leave early so that you don't really have to interact with too many people? Are you known here? If not, that's a problem. I had somebody say to me one day, Jeremy, we don't have any friends at church. And I said, you want to know why? To which they were very intrigued that I would know the answer to their question. At least I had what I thought was the answer. That dramatic pause is making you wait for the answer too, isn't it? I said to them, you come to one morning service of 500-some people, and then you leave. You don't become part of the body that gets smaller in different ways. You're not serving in the body. That's a surefire way to feel like you have no friends at church. Don't come late and leave early. If you aren't serving in the church, you're hurting and hindering the growth of this church. That's a pretty strong statement. I think that's exactly what Paul is saying. That's what you've been gifted for. To not use that gift in the right direction under the right roof is to hurt and hinder the growth of this church. Maybe you say, Pastor Jeremy, I don't even know what my gift is. That's okay. How about you jump in and start serving? Find out where there's a need to serve. And I probably guarantee you, you'll find out what that gift is. You may find out real quickly, junior high boys, like that Stephens kid, that is not my gift. Start serving. 
Ask where you can serve. Find out. And in the process, you'll not only find what gift you have, you'll be serving in the body with that unique gift. Maybe you say, but, but Jeremy, I can't serve like so-and-so. You're right. And Paul says, and they can't serve like you. You have and are a unique gift to this church body. Your tater tot hot dish is not like theirs. Not casserole. We're in Minnesota. It's a hot dish. You know that. My friends, if you're a member of Fourth Baptist Church, Fourth Baptist Church needs you. We need you to serve because you have a gift that others don't have. Maybe you're not a member, maybe you're a regular attender. This scripture text is a call for you to join in membership with a local church. I would say this local church, but it doesn't have to be. This is a call for you. This is the difference between being a spectator and being a player at event. God desires you to be joined to a church, helping maintain this bond of peace by using your special gifts to serve. God never intended there to be Lone Ranger Christians. Young people, you're probably going to have to ask your parents what the Lone Ranger is lately, later when you get home. Or you can just say, hey Siri, just seeing who still had their phone on. Maybe Siri can tell you later who the Lone Ranger is. That's not what the church was meant to be. Membership unlocks the door to serving in the church, to being a part of God's plan A, the church. Maybe you're home on the live stream. Maybe you can't physically come to church anymore. We miss you. And we understand why you can't be here. We pray for you regularly. We love you. But we also need you. We need prayer warriors. Your pastors and your people need your prayers. They need your encouragement. Have you ever thought of maybe having a a ministry over the phone to your fellow members? encouraging them and praying with them. This is a way that you can still be involved in the building up of this church. Maybe you're a member and you're only watching our live stream, but you're not coming to church. This is, this is not how church is supposed to be done. You can't be obedient to this passage and maintain peace with each other in relationships by doing church at home. Come back. It's safe. We miss you too, and we need you too, to obey and to fulfill our gifts into your life. I would strongly argue that you can do a sermon at home, but you can't do church at home. Come to church. Get to know people. Be known. Start serving. Paul continues to talk about gifts in verse 11. The unique and individual gifts are not not the only gifts that Christ distributes to his people. Here in verse 11, the gifts are the people themselves. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the shepherd teachers, the pastors. This is where it gets a little weird. To stand here and tell you, I am your gift doesn't work that well at home when I try that, so I thought I'd try it here. 
But if I can step aside from the office of pastor for a second to say that is what Paul is saying, that not only have you individually been given unique gifts to serve the body, God has also distributed to his people, to the church as a whole, his uniquely gifted leaders as gifts to lead in fulfilling the making of disciples. The foundation of the Great Commission. It was built by the prophets and the apostles, and now Christ has gifted the church with pastors who are to build on that foundation. So Paul is talking all about gifts. Your gifts and the gifts that this church has been given to help you in Great Commission living. Do you remember the saints in the church who are suffering in various ways that I mentioned in the beginning? The rest of this section of text gives us the motivation and the courage to enter into their lives and to help them find peace in Christ. So I want to ask some some questions of the text together this morning. First of all, when it comes to those suffering saints within the church, out of verse 12, the first half of verse 12, who is responsible to help them? We read... In verse 12, from verse 11, that God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Verse 12 is now where we find what ministry each of you have been called to do. We've learned that you've been gifted in a certain way. Now Paul says, I am specifically calling you to a very deliberate and intentional ministry if you are part of the assembly of the church. It's the saints, the believers, the members. It's you who Paul calls to roll up your sleeves and make disciples. Based on this text... It's not sufficient to say, well, that's why we have pastors. That's why we brought in a a discipleship and counseling pastor. That's what he does. Most of the time I'm asked, what do you do? Paul says, "It's, it's you, the saints, the body. It's not sufficient to say, well, I don't know how to do that. Or I don't know enough to do that. Or I'm just going to leave that to the professionals. But it's very biblical and right and obedient. When you encounter a suffering saint in this body, it is right and obedient to say, let's get together regularly and let me help you find peace in Christ. It's very obedient in this text to say, I am the suffering saint and I need to be brought to peace in Christ. Now that's not to say that your pastors are not here for you to lean on and help you along the way as you disciple others, but we are all to be in the ministry of making disciples. Paul started talking about unity, and here we have a unity of responsibility. We all have it. There's no escape out of this. You've been gifted uniquely to serve But now you've been called to a specific ministry. Discipling one another. And when Christ calls us to something, he supplies what is necessary to accomplish this task. That's verse 11. 
He has gifted you, the pastors of this church, to help prepare you for discipling ministry and to fulfill your calling. So to help you fulfill this, he gave you pastors to help equip and prepare you for this specific ministry God has called you to. I am excited to announce, you heard it here first. My notes say, wait for a dramatic pause. Starting, on, starting in January, on Wednesday nights, we will be offering equip classes for you to attend periodically in the year. So you can better prepare for the ministry of discipling. There will be more to come. We'll announce it more. You'll see more and hear more about that. But that's how we want to help you be prepared for your calling in the church. Paul uses the word equip, just like we're going we're gonna to call them our equip classes. This is a medical term. As some of you know, it's the term for setting a broken bone, making it complete, making it whole, making it right again. And Paul uses this word to refer to the work of helping others as you and I together help them become whole again in Christ. To help mend the broken and help them put their life back together. You see, the word ministry in the church has become, in my opinion, very elastic today. Ministry means almost everything. But according to this text, according to the Apostle Paul's words, your ministry must involve broken people and helping them find the beauty of Christ again in their life. And here's the great part. You can do this. As I look around, from this corner of the balcony, to this corner of the floor, to that corner of the balcony, to this corner of the floor, and everywhere in between, I find a collective Bible knowledge that is almost incomparable to a lot of churches. The depth of biblical knowledge in this church, because of God's great hand of grace and teaching, is phenomenal. You have the knowledge to enter into people's lives and to love them and to be compassionate with them and to speak truth into their lives. How do I know? One, because God tells me you do. Two, because I've felt it in my own life by so many of you. Paul said to the Roman believers in Romans chapter 15 verse 4, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. He's speaking to the church. I, I'm, I'm satisfied about you. You yourselves are full of goodness, you're filled with all knowledge, and you're able to instruct one another. Because of their goodness, because of their knowledge of the scriptures, Paul says your ministry is to be involved in discipling each other. Paul also said it to the Galatians. This is a very common theme for Paul. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Making a meal is a great use of your gifts. But how about going a step further? How about seasoning that meal with a little discipleship too? How about reaching out and asking about the heart behind the need the struggle, the suffering going on behind the need? What are the direct relationships 
that God has given you. Maybe you say, Jeremy, I'll take up the mantle. I'm not sure I know what I'm doing, but I'll try. I see the admonition. I'm ready to step up. Where do I start? Start with the relationships that God has already given you. It starts in your home. Then it starts with your circle of friends. And it can branch out and keep going from there. Start there. Listen for hurt and suffering coming out of the hearts of your friends. Verse 12 and 13, why should you do this ministry? Why should you take up this mantle? Actively being involved in discipling others is the ministry that internally develops the church. It is what builds the church. And as each of us disciple each other, the body as a whole enjoys unity. It becomes more spiritually mature, more like Christ. This is the ministry to accomplish Fourth Baptist Church being more Christ-like. This is how it's done. So let me ask you, does the ministry that you're involved in here at Fourth Baptist accomplish that? Does it involve you getting close to people in order to determine how you can help disciple them? My challenge to you would be if it doesn't, maybe you should reconsider your ministry. Maybe you should add a ministry of relationships and discipleship. What does discipling others prevent from happening? Paul tells us in verse 14. He tells us that an active grassroots discipling ministry in the church, it keeps us from being easily moved from truth to error, from one answer to another. When we are hurting, when we are suffering, we are looking for answers. We are looking for methods to relieve our pain. And Paul says when we come alongside of each other and we take this ministry seriously, we will help each other. You will help someone and they will help you Stay grounded in the truth and not be deceived by error. Discipling each other keeps us grounded to the truth. Do you remember how quick and easy and how subtle Satan's deception of Eve was? Think about people you know. Who do you know that has moved from truth to error and it breaks your heart? I know far too many than I, than I care to admit. And I have to ask myself, what if I would have done more discipling? What if I would have gotten more involved in their life? Could, could God have used me to prevent that shift from truth to error? That's what Paul is calling us to. I came across this quote in my study this week. We need to stop thinking that the church needs to be a sanitary place void of the broken. Yes, it needs to be a holy place but also a place for those who are, being, who are being tossed to and fro. We're, we're all good at it, the Stephens family included. Putting on our best face to come to church and to show all of you that we have it all together. Spoiler alert, we don't have it all together. You know that. Because the Bible tells you that the Stephens family does not have it all together. And I know you don't have it all together. Because the Bible tells me that you don't have it all together. So, what do we do? 
we do? We start loving and discipling others who don't have it all together. The church is a hospital for the broken. In my many years of ministry, I've encountered a a few things. This one was new to me. Jeremy, we can't come to church here any longer because we're not perfect. That was in that foyer right out there many years ago. And they were, they knew that this wasn't a perfect church, but that's what they felt. This church is to be a hospital for the broken who can come and find help and be set right and complete in Jesus Christ. What does discipling others look like? It looks like a speaking ministry. Sure, it is listening. Yes, it is compassion. But it must become at some point a speaking ministry. God's truth through you to them. And Paul says it must be done in love. And then verse 16, what is the result of discipling others? The result of actively discipling one another is not only an individual strength of yours, but it's also a strong church body as each one of us uses our unique gifts to serve the church. So you, according to Paul, you are partially responsible for the growth in Christ of other people in this church. You're responsible, answerable to God. The entire church is to be aggressively involved in the work of this ministry. How sad it is that so often the church is the last resort for the weary and the broken of the church to come for help. It's often an embarrassment to come and ask my friends, your friends or your pastors for help. I I understand that. But all of us together, both sufferers and disciples, need to push through that awkwardness and reclaim the ministry of soul care to the church. That's the framework for doing the Great Commission. And you can do this. God has gifted you uniquely. He has has gifted you to disciple others. To disciple is to be like Jesus. He is our advocate, we're told in 1 John 2.1. Meeting us in our time of need. And we can reclaim soul care ministry when we advocate for others. And we bring them to their advocate, Jesus Christ. We have to reject the mentality that this is... This responsibility to disciple is only for those behind the pulpit or those that are paid as pastors who do the job of mending the broken. Because if we all get involved in this, the more people involved, the more people we can help. And I'll tell you what, that word starts to spread. It starts to spread within this building and then it starts to spill out. And it starts to gain momentum and unbelievers start to hear, I can get help at Fourth Baptist Church. I'm going to go there. And now we have a mechanism not only for discipleship in the church, but also evangelism in the world. Are people ruining your worship experience? 
people are to be your worship experience. As much as listening to this sermon is your worship experience, people are to be your worship experience. So as Fourth Baptist Church, are we a culture of care? Where people can bring their problems and find love and truth to help them? It's a good question to think about. Are we the culture of care that each one of us needs and that the world can find should they choose to walk through those doors? You have two callings from this text. To use your gifts to serve the body and to get involved in discipling others. What are you doing to create in this church a loving culture where those who are broken can come and be mended. Fourth Baptist Church, my charge to you is to arise and to reclaim soul care to the church and to create a culture of care inside these walls and outside these walls for the sake of Christ our head, Paul says, and for the maturing and the strengthening of our church.